You are listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hi. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And we're doing something a little different to kick off the new year. This is a listener questions episode where you, the listener, submitted questions to us, the talking people. (laughs) And... We're going to do our best to answer them. There are some tricky questions here. Really tough stuff. Uh, I feel like a couple of you just sent your homework into us. So <laughs> we'll see how we do. I never took the SATs, but I'm feeling like I would actually now. like to see this homework. That would be great. <laughs> should we, we, should, we should do an episode where we take the SATs. That'd be wild. I, I think we know who would score the highest. Let's yeah. be very clear about that. Yeah, we're 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 excited to do this, and of course, we got we got a lot of great questions, and we may not get to every question. So, if if you didn't hear your question asked and answered, we will certainly be doing more episodes like this. And we also didn't really credit a lot of the questions, so apologies if you want your credit question your question, question credited. credited. Feel free to post somewhere, or next time we will be clear. We just we weren't clear that we were, if we were going to. Mention names or not. Personally, yeah, we didn't ask permission. So personally, if I were to ask yeah. a question to a podcast, I wouldn't want my name mentioned. But that's just me. We also got questions from like four or five different uh, pathways, and so keeping track of all of it, uh, I was just compiling them <laughs> as we got them, yeah. and not necessarily where you. they came from. But thank you if you asked a question. Thank you very much for uh, engaging with us. Absolutely. And like we said, if we didn't get to your question, we will probably get to it in a future listener questions episode. So this is our, it's our first time doing this. Who knows how this is going to go? And with that said, the first question, the question that's been asked since we started doing this podcast. When are you going to do an episode on insert favorite artist here? There are things that have been in the works for like well over a year, uh, snail mail correspondence and interviews with artists so we can incorporate their answers into episodes, uh, physical constraints where we had things set up and couldn't make them happen. Uh, obviously, last year got uh, thrown <laughs> thrown for a loop with uh, some of the plans, and they were good ones. And I just wanted to assure everyone who has a favorite noise artist or album that they want to hear us do that we will get to it. We are working on it. Sometimes there's a reason we're waiting for a specific thing, a reissue or a release or an event or an anniversary or just getting in touch with the right people and doing it what feels like the proper way to us. And, and you know, sometimes people don't want to be interviewed over, you know, a recorded medium uh, because then that maybe they feel it takes away some of the mystery. Maybe they just don't like the sound of their voice. Uh yeah, it happens. But know that if you think we should do an episode on somebody, we have thought of that as well. And we are absolutely working on it. We currently have an incredibly extensive list of guest wants. And there is years and years of guest wants that we have listed. So we're in this for the long haul. So we will get to the artist you want us to get to, whoever that artist may be. Right on. 
what advice do you have for young artists starting out now? This question is one that I think about a lot because I get running a label. Also, I get demos and band camp links and all kinds of stuff from people starting out that want me to hear their stuff or want me to put out their stuff. Um, and I try to pay attention to a lot of that stuff, but I think the best way and what I did when I started out, I'm not big on sending demos or solicitations out. So I don't, I wouldn't suggest that if it works for you. Great. But I think make doing it yourself. It's really noise is to me, very DIY doing it yourself and your way. So make a tape, send it out there, send out cop, make 30 copies and send it out to labels you like with a cover and make it look nice. And that's going to get way more attention than an email with a, a Bandcamp link and nothing else in it. Uh, don't worry about gear. Make noise with whatever you have. You got, you got a bucket and some rocks. You can make noise. Just do it. Like, don't worry about not having the right pedals, the right, whatever. I know that I do trashware and I am uh, somewhat of a gear hoarder, but I certainly had nothing starting out and you just make it and find what you like and what works for you. So it's another, another big one for me, but I really think uh, finding a community is important. When I started out, we luckily had some noise bulletin boards online and it was easy to get in touch with people. I think it's even easier to communicate now, but it's also more saturated, but just finding people that you can bounce stuff off feedback, do splits, trades, and get your work out there and people will figure out that it's good. And I think that that's, I, I think also don't put out everything you record. Well, mm -hmm. so the, my, that would be my number one thing is take your time. There's, there's no rush. Your first stuff. While sometimes your first stuff is, Great because it's sort of unknowing and it's your first thing and you you aren't overthinking it. Most of the time, I guarantee for the first multiple years, the stuff I was working on is unlistenable. And But don't worry about that. That's fine. So take your time. And what I would actually say is listen to the episodes with Dominic Ferno because mm -hmm. the advice that is gained from that, especially his experience, his first experience at triple R being completely rejected and by Ron to the point where Ron said, this will never sell. Listen to that. And never, ever, 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 ever sell. And take <laughs> that because it's important. If you're serious, listen to, Listen to your elders. And in that case, it was Ron and Pat and NGX for Dom. And I think that's some of the best lesson lessons you could ever learn is to get rejected by someone you respect. Exactly. And take that criticism and go with it. Take criticism. That's, that's the thing. That's and, and, what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like, I think that you can learn. It's, it's really difficult to 
find a way to embrace criticism that you're given and filter it out and say like it's a criticism that you would like to adapt with or something that you wouldn't like to but but truly being open to it because if it's somebody you care about chances are if they're giving you any sort of feedback it's not easy for them nobody wants to send like say something that they want you to change but at the same time they're doing it because you know they're trying to support you they're trying to move you forward and so um, to really be able to accept and think about the feedback you're receiving uh, is very important. I mean, we get we to this day things get oh, rejected yeah. that, that we'll send yes. in, and it's and it's not it's you have to not take it personally, and you have to understand where that criticism is coming from, and also know that there's always more. Like no matter how good you think something is, and you're like, this is the best thing I ever made. How can they not like it? It's probably not. The next thing you make is going to be better. Yeah. You know, because you're going to you're going to take that uh, rejection. You're going to take whatever you learned and that great thing that you just made. And you're going to make something else, because if that's what you want to do, that's what you're going to do. Then my other advice would be. To be an individual. And. Don't try to. Just don't try to be a copy. Take the inspiration. Certainly. That's super important. Know your history. Know know your inspirations, but enter your own weird, element into it. Yeah, your weird caverns of your mind. Like what what in you is is so unusual, underground? Like what what is that thing that makes you uniquely you that propels you to create? It's what I've always said and it's the person behind the gear more importantly than the gear in front of you. Gray, Tara and myself could all have literally the same three pieces of gear in front of us. And we would record something completely different. There was no question. And that's, and that's, that's the power of the individual and noise. I think that's really good advice. And I think, if you're inspired by something that's great, if you're imitating something or falling in line with something, you are cheapening yourself. And the thing that you likely really like about that thing that you want to imitate or strive to be like is that it is individual and unique, that it sounds different, that it has its own personality, that it has its own quirks. And that's one of the things I've liked to, I like to see unfurl throughout a project and things can change and should change and evolve. So just do whatever it feels like. Uh, that is you and your thing. Uh, that sort of leads to this next question. What would you love to see in noises next expressions? Yeah. And I think these two questions are, there is a mix together in these answers. And again, it's that I want, I want to see, you know, Gray, you talked about the project Star in the end of the year episode and how it it's very you know you can maybe see see some touchstones about okay maybe it's there's a little bit of this but overall it's scratching your head you you're not really sure what this is that's exciting to me and mm-hmm. something like that is that's an exciting thing for a new project that's after however many years of listening to this, there's there's they're giving us a little question mark, and I like that. 
Yeah, I don't need another tape that sounds like the same 30 tapes I have of the same style and looks like it and has the same artwork and identifies itself as this thing. I'd rather something be weird and mysterious and unique, but not as a point of I'm going to be weird and do this. Right. There's a there's a line. There's a fine line. Yeah, there is. And like something like the I Am Elegant label and Star and related things definitely has this like. I got no idea. I'm bewildered by it, but I like the noise and I like it in juxtaposition, especially, you know, those things change contemporarily. Like we might in five years or 10 years, that stuff might be what everything looks like and there'll be something new and exciting to, to change it and and mix it up and identify with. So I, I think again, it's, it just goes back to being yourself. And as far as making noise, I, I just want to hear people take, more risks just go outside yourself if there's something you think you can do even if it doesn't fit with your project but it's something you're interested in and want to do try find a way to incorporate it find a way to make it happen uh i get and maybe this is one for new artists i get hung up a lot on uh self-imposed rules i talk about this on trashware kind of a lot (laughs) but I get hung up on these rules I make for myself or my projects and then uh, even start to pigeonhole things before they've fully developed because it's an easier way for me to to work on it. But then I end up feeling restricted by it. And that certainly has happened with Hivemind over the 18 years that I've done the project. And it's really nice to get outside of that and really freeing to tell yourself to shut up <laughs> about well, and, some yeah. confines you've set. When I think when I think the fun thing about rules is breaking them, right? So yeah. I think it is great to set rules, but then breaking the your own set of rules opens up a whole new thing. What albums that are noise adjacent but not quite noisy enough would you like to cover? And also, uh, someone sent a variation on this question about what albums would you like to cover, but that your the rules that you've put in place for the podcast won't allow. And I know for me, well, we did Tangerine Dream, right? Uh, and that's a quite musical thing and a project that I love when we did that, I sort of feel like it, it broke the rule forever to where we will do whatever we feel like doing. If it has some relevance to us and to noise and obviously Tangerine dream inspiring, uh, a lot of the Japanese noise artists and, and uh, I mean, thousands of other people <laughs> to make music mm-hmm. is a big one to do and a good one to do. And it has noise elements. So uh, that's for me, there's nothing specific aside from maybe the date constraints that we put on things. However, we already break that on the Patreon for seven inches all the time. And I'm not nearly as concerned with it, but it gives us a nice, there's so much to focus on in the time that we've laid out that that's what we're, that's where we started. And if we do something from 2005 later, then we do. Or if we do something from 2020 later, then we do. Yes. And I I like this question a lot because I agree. I feel that I have very few limits as far as what I think we can fit into the podcast and make an episode about. Partly because, like we've stated many times, we're looking at we're looking at 10 years down the line. We're 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 doing this for the long, long foreseeable foreseeable future. So I have no problem doing episodes that seem slightly out of the realm. But to me, 
we will fit. I we I have one in mind that we already have been discussing doing that is certainly not noise, but it's an artist that has influenced countless noise artists, especially early on. So that kind of stuff, getting into the influences, you know, yeah, doing the Tangerine Dream, doing the Folkways record with Dillaway. Mm-hmm. To me, that's Dream exciting. House. Yeah. The Lamont Young, yeah. what a great one with Steve. Yeah. So inspiring. I'll, I'll, I'll say actually that Steve Lowenthal is the person who uh, has had a great idea for something that we um, <laughs> yeah. will definitely do with him. That yeah, it's not it would not be considered noise, but the influence that it had is undeniable. So to me, that's exciting. I have very few limits as far as what I think we could fit into noise extra. I think there's so many tendrils and there's so many branches and there's so much. Sp- there's so many albums and artists that the early guys were so influenced by that. I think it'd be silly to not cover that. And as far as stuff like guests, you know, we, I can say that we have, we have, we have one coming up that isn't someone who's not in the noise world, but I think is going to be very fascinating Mm -hmm. to discuss something that is definitely related to the noise world. And I want to go more, more that way. You know, we had, you know, it was I loved when we had Ben Collins on early on when we did yeah. the Amlux episode. I want, I absolutely want to talk to more people in the movie world. Uh, so as far as guests go, to me, the sky's the limit with that. And I, I know we can fit in many, many different types of guests into what we're discussing here on the podcast. And as far as the time restraints go, as far as the like, years go, yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly think that there's going to be a point where we poke out of that a little bit. But for us, we really like the idea of being historians and discussing the stuff that happened before we were really a part of it. I mean, exactly. You know, end of the 90s for us is when we all started creeping in, but. We like the idea of talking about and talking with the people who came before us as opposed to the stuff that we were incredibly close to. Yes, the the people that that we've always looked up to and admired and that, you know, kind of formed our thoughts and vision on experimental music. Um, and it also avoids us being too close to even be objective. Yeah. And of course things, and I like when things come up in conversations when we do talk about old shows and old tours of ours and they just kind of happen naturally. And part of the whole recent listening section is that where we can talk about other things. Yes. But will we someday possibly talk about death pile GR Probably, you know, uh, you know, so certainly there's uh, that time restraint is it help it, it like Gray said, it helps us focus because then all of a sudden there's just way too much to that. The, the possibilities are way too and en- there seem endless enough it, with our, the restraints we put yeah. on ourselves that if we open it up too much, it would just be overwhelming it's not just that the year 2000 is like an easy cutoff point and sort of before we took involvement in the noise scene and i think someone early on said that they understood us not focusing on years that we were sort of involved 
in it more as participants. So that's part of it, but also it's about the proliferation of stuff like internet message boards, email and everything changing the noise landscape. So a lot of what we talk about here is catalogs. You know, if you've listened to the Patreon, like we've read self-abuse catalogs that come in records and stuff because yeah. mm-hmm. we go over them and they're so awesome and all these titles and just to see a picture of that. So, yeah, I still have a collection of catalogs that Ron mailed me, RRR catalogs and Malignant Records catalogs from back in the day and and all sorts of things and ads from magazines and all those things that are really cool. And I think that that era is really special to us. And with the Internet and with everyone being able to be in touch and with email, it's it has grown exponentially. And there's almost too much to cover if we were to do 2000 plus. So, yeah. Making it more of a rule-breaking thing for us is just simplicity of having a, a definite timeline and keeping it contained. But again, yeah, it's not it's not a hard, fast rule. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, we're looking at so long down the line that are we gonna are we gonna pop pop over that line every once in a while? Sure. And yeah, so over on the Patreon, we we break a lot of our rules. Obviously, we have entire series that are ta- only tangentially related to noise. So. That's where we kind of get a little more loose over there. Yeah. And and the second part of the question, like, what can't you cover due to time restraints? Um, you know, Gray threw out this Halfler Trio album once that we were going to do. And the amount of references and allusions and things that I was reading, like, I, I couldn't get all the research in. Like, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> One day we'll do it. I was like, Gray, I'm like... This is going to take me months to prepare for. So that and then probably the Utrecht album. Oh, man, I I really that would have been weeks more reading had I really not just kind of gone into it blindly and did it in a week. But uh, yeah, so that type of thing, like we want to know what we're actually talking about. So some things we've had to take time to understand more before we speak to it. Speaking of Tara, or Tara speaking about her research, uh, <laughs> we got a question that said, uh, at first when the podcast started, Tara was there quiet in the room. When and when and how did uh, she decide to take part in the podcast? And was it clear from then on that she'll be one of the three of us, you know, one of, one of the core group and not just a guest? Well, and when we first started uh, under MERScast, you know, Tara was, we always would refer to her as research assistant. Yes. In case anyone did, I'm sure we've established that, but in case anyone didn't figure out she was research assistant, Amanda <laughs> was very thinly veiled. But there's no question that Tara brings something, that research element and digging into titles and history, that's Tara's specialty. That was always fun, like, I would come for like the listening and, and you know, I just want to hang out and listen to noise with them. And so uh, I would be like writing notes really fast. Like, oh, oh I know this title now. Yeah, <laughs> like, she kind of handing us. It was really fun. Well, she would also draw when she was. Uh, oh, yeah, that's sitting. true. There's like, there's, I have a really good uh, venereology sketch that she drew. Yeah. And, uh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, there's, there's yeah, some nice sketches around. <laughs> but I'll say it was actually, it, Gray is actually the one who approached Tara Actually, it wasn't even it wasn't anything we discussed. One night, Mm-mm. Gray said, "Tara, will you just be on the podcast with us from now on?" I was super nervous, by the way, but it was like you know, it was a great decision. Yeah, I cannot imagine going back to it not being the three of us. Uh, it's 
it feels so comfortable now and easy. And again, we've been friends for almost 20, you know, coming up on 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we talk to each other every day, <laughs> usually yeah. about noise, but sometimes not. Yeah. Sometimes it's about movies. <laughs> and sometimes it's about life. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's just the the most sort of natural thing. And we all have different aspects that we bring to the podcast. I'm sure you listeners notice these things. The way I approach a record is different than the way Tara approaches a record is different than the way Mike approaches a record. Absolutely. And that's, I think one of our strengths is that even if you don't like what I have to say about the record, <laughs> you might like what Mike or Tara have to say about the record, or you might identify with those aspects or you might listen in that closer to that way or some weird, you know, uh, isosceles triangle <laughs> layout of the, the three of us. And that's, and that's also why we like having guests to talk about records or to talk about their own history with noise, which obviously we've moved on from having, we've moved on more from having guests talk about records with us just due to the physical constraints of we're doing this via conference call. If we can schedule time with somebody for a call, we want to talk to them about their history of noise. But I know that we, we have, like Mike said, one coming up very soon that's a, a guest to talk about an album. And I think that both kinds of episodes are really fun. Well, and I was just, I was totally surprised. Like I never planned on being, you know, on, on the microphone, but I was really excited when you asked me and of course nervous. And, you know, I think part of that is like Mike and Gray had, have been involved in noise longer than I have now, albeit with uh, me, uh, I, I would say it, it's been, you know, it's <laughs> been over 20 years now, but, um, I would say I only have about two years on you. <laughs> so it's not, because Tara was, Tara was literally there for the very first hair please session she wasn't in the room but i'm saying like yeah we were already together so she's seen the very beginning of of that so her her involvement while yeah maybe i already had a few years on you and maybe our first night together you did see the porno noise oh, that's box true. i was like what is this yeah I was... but but so there it is so it's but, like you but were, here's you were my there. thing i felt really good about it when when i read rumors noise you and um and Junko was introduced to noise and she was immediately like, okay, yes, I like this. Let's go. And, and I really respect her so much and think she's amazing. And to hear that response, I, I totally related where, you know, I, I was always seeking something experimental. Uh, and then once you showed me, I was like, let's go. I love this. Totally. I'm in. And the same thing with the podcast, because, you know, it's been a part of our lives so long and we spent so much time touring and talking about it and, and to truly be able to share the respect and fandom that we all have for it, I think is, is just something that, you know, I, I truly feel strongly about continuing because how much of our lives, how much of our money, how much of our time have we spent on this thing that we really believe in? And, and truly looking at all these listener questions, I was trying to think about, you know, what is it? What is it that we feel so strongly about? What is it that we believe in? And, you know, the, the first thing that I, and the thing that I kept coming back to was like perversion at all costs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Like, whatever your perversion is, whatever that means to you, like, like the people involved think it's important. We think it's, it's so important and, and we're going to keep talking about it. It's the underground. It does something that other things can't. It's all about our own 
you know, demented minds and passion and seeking them out and expressing them and seeing the different perversions eke their way out of other people in their voices. And hell yes, I love it. I think that leads wonderfully into this next question. Uh, Noise Extra has a sort of known policy to avoid negative vibes. Uh, however, when one looks at the crucial moment and how it really got the new momentum becoming Noise Extra was thanks to the abrupt end of MERSCast. Uh, should negative vibes be viewed as all bad or can they lead to positive results? And uh, I think as far as avoiding negativity on the podcast, I'm not here to critique someone's record from 25 years ago and think that they're going to change it or change their their artistic style. Like that's one of the nice things about this is I can just talk about the things I like about these records. I'm not giving feedback to someone sending me a demo or who put out an album last year that's looking for my comments on it. I'm talking about something that's, that's history now. And I don't want to spend my time talking about negative things. So we said this before I, I, people ask us to, it's one of the questions that's actually not really on here, but it's one that we do get asked a lot is, uh, what do you, what do you hate? What records do you not like? And it's like, I've, I have way too many records I like to talk about before I want to talk about one that I don't want to listen to before I want to sit for an hour and take notes on a record that I don't personally enjoy the majority of. And so, yeah, I think, you know, negativity or change, at least negativity can lead to change and change can certainly lead to good things. And in this case it did because now we're doing this and Tara's a part of it and it's a whole, whole different thing. Yeah. And I understand that there can be room for nuanced discussions of things and, and maybe, you know, saying that maybe this album, I don't like as much as this album, et cetera, but kind of like Grace saying, it's, I think since this is perm, since these episodes will are permanently going to exist in some way, shape or form yeah, <laughs> that I feel it's just more important to, for us to continue highlighting the things that we love about this as opposed to things that we don't like. Don't worry. There's things we don't like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? We talk about them as long as it's not being recorded. <laughs> but for, for permanence and posterity. Yeah. And minds change. Yes, and I'd no ra- kidding I'd, they do. There's things I haven't liked. And then 10 years later, all of a sudden... It hits me in a different way, and I think it's great. I just would rather not my my. I would rather my negative opinion of something not be on the permanent record when my mind might change about something. Yeah, if I had talked about a minimalist ambient zone as a twenty year old, I would sound like an asshole if it had been recorded. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm sure that I would be complaining and want it to go all over the place, but. You know, that that doesn't need to be documented. And also that like quagmire of negativity and shit talking, it it only begets itself. You know what I mean? Like, what's it leading to? What's it building up? Like, it's not supporting anything. It's not furthering like the underground and art. It's just it's it's I find it mundane and dreary. Like how many people every day just sit around and complain like I can get that anywhere out of just normal people just complaining about crap. So, you know, we, we prefer to hopefully keep it a little more interesting by putting ourselves out in a, on a line and saying what we like, because it's really easy just to say you hate everything and tear everything down. It's a lot harder to like stand behind something and say, no, I think this is good. But I like the sentiment and I like the idea that 
you know, not necess- it's not necessarily shit talking, but maybe a nuanced thing that could be seen as negative is not necessarily a bad thing. And I, and I agree with that. Yeah. But ultimately, we, you know, we have, we probably have just more good things to say about the things we talk about. What are some things making the podcast have made you learn or realize how hard it is to listen to hours of my own voice? <laughs> and <laughs> the, the, you get over that. Uh, I, that's I, a dude, good point. Those first couple, you yeah. get over it quickly just because you have to. Yep. But oh my God. God, that's the hardest thing. <laughs> yeah. It, to get used to hearing your own voice. It took a long while to really get into, you know, to be able to deal with it. as <laughs> like a, just a reality of it. And we have a really nice relationship where I don't have to hear too much of my own voice because <laughs> I mark all the edits that I think need made. <laughs> but. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a very good back and forth system. There is a, a really one thing I'll say that I love about this podcast. Is there's a really nice division of labor, I think, uh, in what we do. We all have our strengths and we all pay, take on different aspects of the podcast to tackle. And, uh, you know, working as a team, uh, not that it's something that I learned <laughs> from doing this podcast, but it's certainly a skill that I, I am thankful for every every week we record. Uh, the importance of regularity. I think that our consistency with putting out releases uh, on a, at a, the same time on a week, it, occasionally there'll be a technical issue or something that'll, you know, push it an hour or something like that, but it's pretty rare. And I think that getting that stuff out there on time so you know you can listen to it on Wednesday <laughs> as it as it drops, uh, that's a really important thing is sort of having that schedule and regularity uh, because it could very easily be one of those things that that it, w- it was irregular and I w- wouldn't have, I feel like, the momentum that it does. Like, this is the thing we do every week at a time. We schedule it. We plan for it. The edits are, you know, when, when the edits are going to be done and things are going to be reviewed or planned for. And so the regularity of it's really good having a structure for it. Well, it pushes us, you know, it pushes us to really keep thinking about something that we, that we want to discuss. And, you know, the thing that I like in listening to so many new things is we get to be in the heads of so many talented and interesting people that, you know, sometimes you get stuck in a rut with things that you like to think about with your own interests, but this pulls you in so many different directions and, and lets you think about such a variety of things um, that I, I, I mean, I truly love it. This actually also ties into another question from the same listener. Does it reduce any fun if there's a schedule to follow and, and how does this progress feel of, you know, schedule planning? To me, it would be the opposite. I, the schedule and our rigorous, our rigorous schedule that we impose on ourselves every week to me is what makes it. Whatever Tara and I do every single day, whatever we are reading, whatever we're listening to, whatever movie we watch, it all has a purpose and that purpose goes into one of our series, whether or not it's the regular series or our Patreon series. To me, that's what that's what makes each week exciting and fun. Oh, what 
album are we getting into this week? What guest are we interviewing this week? What seven inch are we doing? What what serial killer am I researching this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get into a zone and you can listen yeah. to more albums from them and look up other things and start reading interviews, like doing the research, but also just oh man, I'm listening to this thing from whatever on what label and I'm going to listen to some other stuff on that label too. Like you just, yep. even while doing research, it's like, oh, they had a side project I didn't know about. I'm going to go listen yeah. to that. Like, that stuff is all really fun and it it builds excitement knowing what we're going to do, knowing who we're going to talk to and texting about it. And like, even just today, I sent the Connolly is a picture of six, seven inches. I just got yeah. in the mail to do for our Patreon seven inch Sunday series. And I'm excited for all those. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I bought them. I ordered them. They're good ones. I got them here. And like, I I'm stoked to talk about some of those things. And now we can kind of pick out an order to do them in. And the regularity of it is anyone who's been on like a long tour and been sort of sick of the grind or, you know, the, the routine and you're, maybe you don't feel like playing that night. You just want to like hang out and get a pizza or something, but you go out, you go to the gig and like an old friend shows up or whatever, you play a killer set, you have a really good time that that's sometimes like you just have to go do it. And so we just go do it. And I, I stay excited about doing it. But even if I didn't, the, even when I've been in a sour mood from some other thing that like life has going on, the second I sit down to do this, I'm, I'm amped because I'm listening to noise. I mean, like it's something I like doing and then I get to talk about it and that's something I like doing. And I, I know we hear from people that the regularity is a nice thing that they look forward to listening to it on their days. You know, like Stephen Petra said that in his episode that he, you know, goes Wednesday morning, he's, he's got us in his headphones and like, I think that's awesome. And I know it's also nice in a, year where people have haven't had as much of a schedule uh or social Mm -hmm. interaction as they used to that they can still uh talk with a couple of their friends about noise or like hear us talk about noise and feel like it's kind of you know a show hangout where you're talking about the new release and you're talking about a record you like you're talking about a show you saw it just it's just more fuel every week is more fuel for me to keep doing it there's no uh no reason not to so i think the having a schedule, having plans and we're very adaptable. We've hell, we rescheduled some episodes last month that because we got to do an interview that we weren't planning on and we got to, you know, do these sorts of things. So that kind of stuff is also, we're, we're very flexible with it, but we also take it very seriously. And it's still fun. And it's an awesome reason to pay attention to, because how many things do we like interact with, read, listen to, watch every day and you pay kind of half attention. And what I really enjoyed is, is knowing that like, you know, it, I'm, I've always going to read about, you know, insects and birds and quantum physics. But now when I talk about him with Mike on home time, he's going to ask me a question and I better know the answer. Uh, and boy, he asks weird questions. Great too. Not never what I expect. <laughs> or, 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 you, or it's incorporated into yeah. our regular episodes. Yeah. Or and that too. And you're just like, Oh, I know that neat, neat. I just think giving a purpose to every single thing we do in our daily lives is what makes it fun. And I'm, I'm, and again, my hardcore touring days are obviously, you know, pretty long behind me and, you know, who knows what the future holds, but I'm the guy who books a 30 day tour with no days off, you know, yes. <laughs> because I, yeah. I hate a day off on a tour. <laughs> now I don't know. He I really does. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I could do that again, but, but I like the momentum. So 
to me, it's the the weekly schedule is is what makes it fun. And you better believe I get a disappointed frown from Connolly if I mess that schedule up. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I, does your mouth frown? I don't think it does. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it knows how to. Hey, I mean, look, you, that was the thing I said. I well, and and even I mean, obviously, this wasn't even a question necessarily, but I mean, the way that Gray and I even started doing this was an accident. It was, I wasn't, it was originally the whole thing was Gray's idea. And I happened to be the very first guest and I just never left. And, it's and true. that's that what was, the Connellys do. We was, insert ourselves. Yeah, but, but I remember, <laughs> I remember, I think even after the second one, I insisted that it was that we do it weekly. I'm not trying to like give myself credit or whatever. I'm just saying like, I was very adamant early on about the importance of regularity and it being weekly. Yeah, I, that is a hundred percent true. It was planned to be weekly, but I would not have probably been nearly as strict as uh, Connolly was when we got it going. So I think it's really good. And now, of course, it's just now you got two Connollys. Now you got two Connollys. Oh boy, how do you handle it, Gray? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, no one how asked you, you that. How do you it? handle two Connollys? I just I just stay quiet a lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> and and, uh, and I do a lot of editing. <laughs> He gets the first round of edits, so. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, uh, on, on the topic of edits, not that anyone asked, but I've gotten so uh, knowledgeable of the flow of our podcast that I can sense a Connolly edit before he sends it to me, so I'll usually take him out in the first round and never have to hear about him. Uh, and just prep it. <laughs> never have to hear about it. <laughs> there's there's like definitely it. times we where I'm like, We won't give this any is examples. A, this is, no, no he, examples. You're like, he's definitely, no going, examples. he's definitely going to say, cut this. What do you think is the most not music-related noise-feeling movie? This question kind of made us all think a lot. It was, uh, it's really hard to pick one. It's an interesting question. It is. Uh, and ultimately, there's one thing I come to, and that is... Pornography, uh, kink.com, uh, anything bondage, uh, absolutely so noise because you know what? It's, it's transgressive. It's decadence. It's about pleasure. It has dark humor. Um, it has all of those element elements of just pushing what you think your idea of entertainment is like noise is about being transgressive and pushing boundaries and having something that's not for everybody. And I think that that is an important element that draws us all to it. And it's challenging. And, and definitely I think like, again, I'll just say, just pick a kink.com anything. And it, it truly is um, its own art form. And I, I think it's very much um, an underground noise approach. I, I like also that you included the idea of humor or dark humor in that because even there is that element of a setup for a scene that is inherently absurd. Hokey, and, yeah. And, yes. and there's a humor, but you go with it. And the acting isn't expected to be any level. Like, it's gravy if it's good, but otherwise, you know, sometimes the the badness of it is the best thing you know it's it's really it's living by its own rules it's something that you can't just throw on everywhere you go and and truly i think that it 
has something in common with noise. And I think that's why a lot of the early noise releases certainly incorporated pornography because it's all about playing with transgression and destruction and chaos and, you know, making something that would just initially be violently alienating to any person like regular person you pulled off the street. I like that you cited kink.com because as a place that is very focused on sets and props, uh, I got to tour there. Uh, what eight nine years ago I got the tour so of the yes. Armory, so which cool. I, sadly no I longer exists. And, well, I guess uh, the building probably still exists. They're just not there. They they let me uh, take a bunch of photos and stuff too, and that was really a fun time <laughs> to go see all that stuff. But I also remember going into some of the rooms, seeing some of the machines uh, outside, and also going into the sort of prop room where they had all this stuff or the. You know, like some of the crazy sets that they had built that you will see in their movies. And I still can remember being in those rooms. So uh, I think that is a specific example is great, but I can I can uh, co-sign the Connolly's answer here. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's I mean, truly just like noise, it's really easy to do it badly, Um, but it takes a lot of nuance to do it well. If you wanted to get someone into noise, which one album would you play them? This is an interesting question because I don't think that's ever been a successful tactic in getting someone into into noise. I think the number one thing for someone getting into noise is they have to want it. Now, they might not know what that means, what they want, but they have to be open there has to be there has to have already been steps taken from mm-hmm. that person individually outside to get to a point where they're going to be open to hear an album that changes so for example like when we talk about you know people talk about the Mersbau CD that was the one mm-hmm. it wasn't like there was nothing leading up to that for many there was a, there was they whether, looked for it whether or not it was it's the death metal journey whether or not it's the industrial journey, whether or not it's, you know, whatever journey there is, there was multiple steps leading up to that, getting that album. There's multiple steps leading up to Petrus getting death odors. There's multiple steps leading up to, up to that. So I don't, I don't know if there's a real answer to that. And I don't know if I've ever been successful. I don't even know. When last time I tried, I I say you know what they either get it or they don't play them anything play them anything at all play them anything you like if they're gonna get it they're gonna get it I think for a lot of people uh, the thing that I have seen that gets them into noise or makes them understand it maybe even after they've been played records is take them to a live show which that's yeah. that would be my suggestion is pick out a good lineup and take someone to a show if you don't get it live I I don't know that you're going to like it on record. You might like it more on record after getting into it live, but I really feel like I know for me buying the records was one thing, but like the early live shows I saw were really important into pulling me into this world and giving me an appreciation of it and seeing people do things and seeing how they do things with weird things and seeing a crowd react to noise. And in a way, the crowd gives you permission to accept it because you see other people accepting it and liking it on a subconscious level. I'm not saying like, oh, these people like it, so I'm going to like it. But 
the shared enthusiasm can certainly rub off and help with feel like making sense of what you're hearing. If you're not used to noise, this obviously is not a suggestion for anyone who loves noise. Cause you've already go to shows probably, and you already listen to noise, but if it's someone that you want to check out noise or you think should listen to them, listen to noise. Uh, I think really a live show is the best bet. Now, if you're trying to get your 13 year old nephew into noise, what album would I play them? I have absolutely no idea. If I'm like trying to explain what noise is to people, I usually will pull up an incapacitance video and show them that. If they're like, what's noise? What are you talking about? I like weird music. It's like, eh, how about this? <laughs> we had one question that's just max volume on headphones or nah? Well, listening wise to me, well, I would say no, but I'm probably so deaf that I have to have it on max <laughs> volume. But also, Tara and I are cannot have our headphones on max volume while doing this because apparently our sound bleeds and makes Gray do more work. Yeah. So Gray has informed us to not do max volume on your headphones. I don't know if that was the- Yeah, it's true. And then I like to turn my head and look at Mike, and then it puts my We're- headphone ear up to the microphone, and then you can hear that We are a that huge too. issue Just such in an Gray's issue. Life. It's really wild. Yeah, it's like hurting cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will admit to not being a headphone listener unless I'm on like an airplane or occasionally like on tour in the back of a van. Mostly I I have a stereo in my studio. I have studio monitors and a tape deck and a CD player. And I like to listen to things on a speaker. Even I'll just listen to stuff on like a Bluetooth speaker if I'm reading at night or whatever. Uh, I don't, I don't do headphones a lot. Now, if you're asking for recording, I think uh, uh, striving for a, an appropriate volume is better than a max volume. And like, what headphones you got? You got earbuds? You don't want max volume on no earbuds. Ooh, that tickles. You got, uh, you know, you got some big uh, like Sennheiser HD 600s or something. Uh, maybe you want to blast max volume. Can your phone put out max volume? You got a DAC to that'll put out enough. Uh, homage to boost that signal to really brutally loud i don't know i'm not a huge headphone person so stereo though well the connelly's have been here when i play noise records kids great can't wait to he's quite do that again quite ballsy in his volume that's for (laughs) sure it's fun i do think listening loud is important because as mentioned in the like going to a live show Feeling noise, it's a visceral experience. And so if you've got, if it's loud and you're rumbling and the, the highs are cutting and if it just feels good, that's, that's how I like to listen to noise. More of a trashware question here. Any tips for getting that perfect, harsh, distant noise vocal? Record it at a distance. <laughs> like... Go into a room when you're hearing when you're hearing that stuff on, especially like old condom or Romulo releases or whatever it might be. They're they're yelling in a room. Uh, they're yelling. They're recording that sound in a room. It sounds distant because it's got ambiance ambiance to it. Another great option is uh, that I used to do this one a fair bit is mic a sheet of metal and yell into the the piece of metal at a distance. You get a cool good sound. That's what Richard Ramirez said he did with the vocals mm-hmm. on Jumping Tiger in the episode we did with him. Yeah. And what uh, what do you use to mic a sheet of metal there, Gray? 
I would use a contact mic, but actually one of my favorite things to use is uh, old guitar pickups, too. Uh, You know, they're made for picking up vibrations in metal, uh, usually in the form of strings, but they'll work on a sheet of metal. So I'm a fan of that, too. So best and worst packaging? For worst packaging, we went with the idea of more like gross packaging. And I don't mean gross because... See, now my words are getting confusing are because of the words. Not so, the word gross. Like cherry to the cods is what you're saying. So, disgusting. Right. So, yeah. so, so in a way, yeah. stinky horse fuck kind of has the best and worst because it's the best. Yeah. But then you also have dead fish. Stinky. Uh, you have a pig's ear. Yeah. You have a, a, a hoof. So it something. is the best and worst, so like it's, literally. So it's the best and the worst in a way. And there's a lot of things we have that stink. Like yeah. they just don't smell the good when you open written them. in blood because oh. it has the dried blood on the inserts. It smells like metallic, can, like dried I blood. I know. Taint Indecent Liberties is one so that I would put yeah. Liberties. So wrapped it's like, in chicken wire. I've cut myself on 20 times in the yeah. 20 years of owning it. It's like. So it's like, it's yeah. the best. And it's also the worst. I can smell it across the room when you open that slogan box. Yeah. Written in blood. It's amazing. <laughs> for for And then for actual, actual best. I mean. Masana Passion of Rubbers on Gross has to be uh, top in the that top. That packaging is insane. Any gross, really. Yeah, gross but the in passion general. Of rubber, it's just, it's a sight to behold. And it's functional. From what I've seen, the four shrines, though I've never seen it in mm-hmm. person, is got to be some of the best. But gross in general, Passion MSPR's, of Rubbers. Um, the fracture, or I mean, the fracture of silence yes, is pretty fracture. great because it's so ridiculous and you can see it. It's iconic because you can spot it at a distance. You will never mistake it for anything else. It looks like a burnt loaf of bread. I, I have some of those MSBR lathes from back when he was doing them, like the Daniel Menchie Small Cruel Party in a stuffed animal and the oh, Daniel so Menchie cool. MSBR in a in a seven inch box covered in uh, concrete and painted black. And so like mm-hmm. MSBR <laughs> packaging is a huge one yeah. for yeah. me. Uh, I have some stuff on display in my house that's like, uh, there's a taint tape. I actually posted a, a video of it the other day on uh, the Noise Extra Instagram or a photo of it as a story, but uh, it's all hand-painted scratch VHS case sealed together with wire with like a bullet casing in it. And I handmade packaging I really love. Uh, back to the MSBR stuff, of course, uh, for contemporary labels. I really love what Dominic's been doing with the hospital stuff. Oh, my yeah. God. The cloister rope and pulley thing that comes with chicken wire with with rope on it and the different versions of Minecraft Industrials Criminalized History tape. But also, uh, Fusty Cunt has been doing some wild packaging, like mm-hmm. stuff with ash and dirt and uh, a little, I think, circuit wound tribute to that uh, Fracture of Silence <laughs> cover with the spray foam. Uh, I love the packaging on the Armed and Loaded releases. Uh, yeah. That's, a, that's a, just a solid discography of weirdly packaged things. The OVMN in duct tape wrapped with wire in a, in a like dog tag badge thing. The slogan in an ammo box, an empty ammo box with like nice printed metallic in uh, cover stickers. The skin crime in the like tar paper that's been screen printed. So uh, amazing. It's really cool. And the condom in the engraved slate stone with bolts through it. Those are like among my favorite things that I own in terms of like packaging stuff. And I'm going to go here and I'm going to say worst packaging, two things. Label your tapes. 
or at least put something yes. on them that identifies them. If I get a white Please, tape, thank you, or a black tape with nothing on it, I, I'm it's I'm gonna lose it. I'm just just label it, please. Just label it. It'd be very nice of you. And poly cases, those soft cases that are barely big enough to hold the tape, are like mm-hmm. my big pet peeve. I have a few that I keep around out of necessity, but I do not love those. Those uh, I actually bought some stock cases off someone who stopped running a label, and the box came with a bunch of those in it. And I'm I'm just trying to figure out a day to burn them all. I uh, I sign off on those as well. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't like any of that. Uh, I'd rather you bolt it to a piece of wood than put it in a poly case. Like, I'd rather have a an obtuse thing floating around my house. And or wrap I have, it with paper and a rubber band. Who cares? Like, don't use poly cases. Just, I just don't like the poly cases. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I, I like a cool, a good, we have some of those real early crank sturgeon tapes that are wrapped in paper. Yes, those look I, really I love cool. That. Those are awesome. I think it's like, great. There's like, no case. Folding, wrapping. Yeah. It's just this. Those are cool. Oh, custom, custom cases, real boxes. I love uh, inserts. Give me inserts. Uh, one of the things that I'm trying to be better about when doing more handmade packaging is every surface covered. I think that that's an important yeah, thing. Yeah, huge. Uh, mm-hmm. It's if you get something and it has spine prints and it has the in, and the inside is printed, the back sheets of the pages are printed, even with something. Very simple, a pattern, a Xerox, whatever. I always like that. I like it when I get a ton of inserts to look at. Uh, when I did the Bacillus Reemergence 3-inch back in the 2000s, I made a ton of different inserts from stuff he'd sent me in medical photos and whatnot, but I only included some of them in each. I randomly included some of them in each box. So I think there's a total of like 15 different inserts you could have in it. And my personal copies have all of them, but the ones that got sent out, I would, it was like eight of them at random would be stuffed into every one. So I like that. It's different. Like if you see one or a photo of one somewhere or something, it might have different inserts than the one that you got. And that, that sort of thing is actually fun to me too. I like the variance and the exposing the unique nature of noise through the packaging, I think is really important. I also love pro packaging like yeah i like uh foil embossed yeah metallic ink screen printed specialty die cut weird packaging like give me any of that stuff i it's i mean probably evident in the cds i've been doing lately that i have a, <laughs> a penchant for going for like the metallics and stuff like that but i want something that elevates oh did that without uh any professional yeah I figured out a couple ways to do it, by the way. Just do it, yeah. (laughs) I've been researching and I figured out a couple ways to do it. I like to second Gray's notion of print on all sides. Don't leave leave the back. Don't leave the inside of a tape cover blank. Just print anything. Anything is worth it rather than having a A blank. A stamp, paint, whatever you get. Well, that's another thing is mechanical reproductions. So while I'm not going to talk about favorite packaging, I mean, I have some stuff on my walls that is like among my favorite packaging, but also I like really simple stuff. I like it. If you, if you buy an old tape and it comes in that old shitty Norelco case from mm. the eighties yes. and it's got a crack in it and it's all hazy, but you can tell it's the one that it came in. I'm a sucker for that sort of nostalgia. Totally. And, and with old tapes, I love having, I like seeing the now seeing the, 
whatever tape it was, yeah, the like, brand like name. an old vanilla yeah. tape or even the gross tapes. A lot of yeah. times, yeah, you, you see whatever the tape is. It's like Maxim C ninety. I, or I, yeah. I would have something I've always tried to avoid, and and I still I don't necessarily wouldn't encourage anyone to do that now, but there's something about looking at an old tape from the late eighties. That is kind of awesome. I yeah. I like that, but I I don't I don't know if that can be recreated now, and I don't necessarily think it should. But there is something I like about that. I think another thing that in packaging I have grown to like, and I think it's time, especially for this era of stuff that we are talking about, to get its due, and that is box sets. Uh, not always. I don't need something that was on CD to be a a big LP box set or something, but I do, I've been really enjoying CD box sets this year. I got that Enrico Piva box set. Uh, the omit enclosures box set is fantastic. Actually, someone asked about New Zealand noise and I would just interject by saying omit, 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 and omit. It's my favorite New Zealand noise. Uh, I cannot pretend to be super versed in that stuff, but that is the one that has always spoke to me. And I think we're going to be covering some moment this year, but For sure. uh, the Elian Radig box set is really amazing. And the, I mean, I, I have a whole section of just box sets, the, you know, something like sex encyclopedia getting a reissue and um, <clears throat> Robert Terman chapter 11, stuff like that. Like I like it, a nicely done box set with historical information in it and maybe a booklet. And, some of this stuff really deserves to be preserved in the same way that like classical music is or whatever. And I think it's nice to see the noise is kind of branching out into that a bit more. It feels like, but inserts, put inserts in everything. You got it. You got to You got a cover. You got a J card. Great. Throw an insert in there. Uh, put another extra insert in there too. And then put another insert in like four of the copies just to confuse people. A, a friend said, and I'm paraphrasing, anyone can make good noise, not anyone can make a good insert. <laughs> Any thoughts on three-inch CDRs? Since they aren't seven inches or albums, they don't really come up much, but they're fairly noise-centric. How do you feel about three-inch CDRs, and do you have any favorite three-inch releases? And do you have a storage system for them? So what I used to do, this is a great question. There was a period of chondritic sound where I pretty much exclusively did three inch CDRs. It was a long period. It was sort of like 2003 to 2008 or something where it was mostly three inches. I love the format. I love the time constraint, 24 minutes. I like that it's a single dose. I don't need to flip anything. I like the packaging. I like the compact format. And I used to hate folding those tiny ass inserts to fit the cases that I got. What I used to do is when I would hang my uh, Napa Valley tape racks, you all know the ones I'm talking about, the nice wooden mm -hmm. ones. I would leave a three inch, uh, I would measure with a three inch case or the space and put and leave it open and make a shelf there across it where the three inches could be stored between a couple of rows of tape racks. I have that still in my house, but it's just got tapes on it, but it, you can fit three inches there. I also have a bunch of three inches in a box that was like the right size for several rows of three inches, some in cases, some not. So that's always a little tricky because I, when I did things, they were pretty much uniform. At one point, the cases got larger, and now the cases I'm using are a nice uniform size as well for the last couple of three inches I did. But I love them in terms of their fairly short format. I think that 
that length of time, 20-ish minutes, is a great time to get across a noise idea. It's a time frame I tend to work in regularly. Yeah, they can't be played in the car, but you can rip anything unless you only have one of those slot drives. Buy an external drive. They're like 20 bucks, and you can rip all your three inches mm-hmm. and, and play them. And I think that that's really, like... Put them in the computer. Uh, there are some great three inches and fan CD releases that I really like. Those, uh, like, what are they? Partially metallic CD where it's three inches of metal but five inches of plastic. Uh, like 20 to 2000, which had releases from like Coil, Alter Ego, Elf, and the Panasonic guys did solo records. And uh, Alva Noto, like, it was on Raster Noten, and, and that was a really cool series. And I, I just love the three inch for, for what it is favorite releases. I picked two. I could probably give you a list of too many, but uh, two of the ones that really stick out to me in my mind, Damien Romero idol. Damien recorded his Plymouth Roadrunner idling in his driveway. And it is one of the coolest sounding releases in uh, the history of ever. I love it. It's mm-hmm. one of those simple pieces of sort of sound art, documentation, field recording, prepared recording, whatever, that is so comforting to listen to. The nice throaty growl of a late 60s Plymouth Roadrunner. And Joe Colley Anthem, Static for Empty Life, which has been uh, reissued on LP by Misanthropic Agenda, who also did that uh, Psychic Stress Soundtracks double LP reissue. From, uh, I don't know, last year? I am time, right? Uh, both of yeah. those, to me, are, like, killer, classic, three inches. That, like, when I think of what I like about the format, those those are, like, the, the Cupid's arrow through my heart of three-inch CDs. Some of the first ones that I bought myself personally were on that label Source Research. And it was what led me... And, actually, there's one by... Uh, Arius, who has a CD on Tesco called Manhattan Dwelling, but he did a three-inch that he self-released, and that was another one that I got so early on and kind of cemented my love for the three-inch format. And so that I have to label that, have to name that one and the source three inches. Uh, I think it's an underutilized format, but of course CDRs uh, went the way of the dodo in terms of popularity with the giant tape resurgence that was going on. And now that CDs are coming back into fashion, I'm seeing more CDRs in fashion. I have been doing some three inch CDRs myself on Chondritic because I love them. I I just love the format and I think it's the right perfect dose of noise. I like them when they come in a standard size case. Another great question. A listener would like to hear more about your goth club DJ days. How noisy did your sets get? But also, how poppy and dancey did you go? For example, was stuff like Strawberry Switchblade getting played? Uh, love Strawberry Switchblade, no question so, here. And I know so the all of us. So do we. Do also and as well, yeah. Uh, and I would play that when I was co-curating and DJing the Maldoror Nights. That's more the sort of thing that would go on, which was a monthly concert series we did, usually with two artists. On the noisier end of things, but we also did... Uh, sort of like minimal synth and in, like industrial techno stuff like face fatal who has a record on hospital uh, played at one of them and oil thief played it and uh, our friends in youth code played there uh, as well as like hive mind and puce Mary and um, burial hex. Like we had all sorts of stuff at this night and we would play whatever I was really into a lot of like 
early 2000s electro and minimal synth from all all times i guess so we would play a lot of that stuff and you know uh front 242 and skinny puppy always getting played but then i also dj'd at an actual gothic industrial club here in los angeles been running for like 20 years called das bunker uh, and I DJed in the retro room and I would play lots of like ZYX records, uh, Tala 2XLC stuff like Razor Maid, um, a lot of off brand 90s EBM ripoff stuff, uh, and Belgian New Beat, and then some of the sort of more modern EBM tinged industrial techno stuff like Face Fatal. Um, and Codex Empire and stuff like that. Uh, and occasionally get away with some minimal synth tunes or some weird remixes. We, we play House of Raphna there. Uh, but that, sh- that was more, that place had a built in crowd. So I wasn't taking tons of like artistic liberty <laughs> with my choices. But my earliest DJ gigs were in a basement of Leland City Club <laughs> in Detroit. And we did a couple nights of a party that we named Suture Obsession, named after an SPK song. And I played almost exclusively noise and industrial adjacent stuff. I saw uh, Schloss Teagle play in this club. It was called The Labyrinth. And I saw I saw Schloss Teagle play there. I saw uh, the guys from Einlight Tungzeit played there and their other man Scroll. I also saw Apop Team of Reserve play in this basement. Like, there's a range of stuff here. Uh, but we... I would play, I played stuff off Tarot Machine and I played, you know, stuff off of Inner, Brighter Death Now's Inner War and I played Moonlight Hidden Beneath the Cloud and I would play all whatever kind of dark ambient and miserable European industrial stuff I was listening to. I was very inspired by the Noise Guild DJs out of New York. Uh, I always thought it was really cool that they did like a regular noise night and they played condom at a bar for people mm-hmm. to listen to. So when I got the chance, guess what? <laughs> I wanted to play the nasty noisy stuff. I definitely put people off because they were coming from up uh, on Friday nights. They would go between maybe the, the goth, you know, the two goth clubs in the same building. So you would have someone come down and be angry. Uh, I remember playing, something off inner war it was either it was either bread or death now or Mersba. actually i'm not certain now uh because i felt like those two melded really well together and that was like what i was very heavily into at the time and being told uh hey can you play something like can you play something like with a beat we got chicks here that want to dance and i said sure and i put on maybe like no tomorrow or something by bread or death now and the guy came back like a couple minutes later and was like, this sounds like what a serial killer would listen to. I'm like, all right, well, that's like the exactly the right vibe then. Like inspired by, thank yeah, you. I'm not, I'm <laughs> not, uh, I wasn't there to play any crowd pleasers, but we only did that a few times. Surprise, surprise. Um, so yeah, I, you know, played, I've DJed and played a ton of, you know, like I love the clinic. I would always play that kind of stuff. Uh, I love front two, four, two. I love skinny puppy. Uh, Marshall Cantrell, the best living minimal synth artist, who's like very active. He's uh, amazing. Uh, half of Zeno and Oaklander. Um, anything in that ilk and a lot of the stuff that like I was coming across when my sort of industrial EBM 
minimal synth band was was touring and stuff so there's a lot of really great stuff like luminance and and slightly more poppy stuff on the on synth poppy stuff on that end what's the most intense live noise or industrial performance you've attended for me it was definitely um death pile at no fun in the basement i remember that set quite well it was so sweaty and so crazy and Mike, of course, was doing the noise then. And uh, man, that was, it just got intense. And we thought that people were going to rip the pipes down because everybody started, like, remember that? Jumping up into the ceiling. From the, the water yeah. pipes running through yeah, the ceiling. Yeah, hanging from the yeah. water pipes and then climbing between the beams somehow. Well, and, there and there was, was that just chair. so many people. <laughs> there was that, like, <sighs> sofa chair in the middle of the pit. <laughs> Yes, yes. So everybody could stand on it. I think I might have actually been sitting on one of you the arms of it. You can see this set or parts of this set on uh, YouTube also. Yeah, that was really wild and intense and uh, I had a great time. So uh, that will stand out in my mind as one of the most intense sets. Uh, someone asked a while ago when I was doing a sort of Q&A thing on the Noise Extra Instagram, uh what the best live show I'd ever seen was. And it was, it was intense. And I, I have said this for years and I'm going to say it again right here is, uh, Aaron Dillaway, July 3rd, 2005. One of my favorite live sets I've ever seen. Uh, absolutely possessed intense. Um, but at the same time, I, if I remember correctly, I actually fainted during a hair police performance at this same venue. <laughs> Thanks Wait, to, what the, venue? to the PA the empty bottle. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I I, I got a concussion <laughs> that night. Jesus, <laughs> that's right. We, we've yeah. seen some great shows at the I'm, Empty Bottle, I mean, dude. Like it's crazy. I mean, Junko for the Hospital Fest here was yeah. one of the most intense uh, and brutal and blistering things I've ever heard. I Impressive. mean, I toured with Purient during the a heavy era of the feedback. Oh yeah, Z shows and some of those were absolutely the to the limit. I particularly remember the Casbah in San Diego. I remember that set being like damaging in like so many ways. One of those, one of that eras, we've of course discussed when he knocked you flying when you met him, Tara. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that was a great set. But I, you know, I don't think that was the loudest or most like aggressive that I've even seen him play. It just, just aggressive towards you. <laughs> Only towards me. It was great. I, was I like, remember that, the sets around you know. that time. And I think if you're watching them on a video or something that the sheer misery of those tones does not come oh, through of being in they the were room. wild. Yeah, it was it was uh, absolutely challenging and intense and you know talk about giving you something to think about. You know what I mean? Like you 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 didn't leave without reflecting upon that show for a long time. Right. And the same listener asked were there any shows that we had to leave because they were too intense. And I think, I think we've all discussed, we these. just recently discussed, I can't remember which episode it was. Oh, it was with Randy. Yeah. We discussed the Kevin drum set. Yeah. That was absolutely unreal. I had to leave and go throw up. Unreal. Uh, Damien yeah. Romero at no fun fest. 
I remember being so excited to see him play, and the second he started, it sucked all the air out of me. I mentioned this in that yeah episode too, but I had to go outside and get fresh air. But like leaving, like bounce the gig. No, I, I. Yeah, no, no, no. Stay in earshot it, at least. Like I, I had to go oh, outside during uh, Hydrokaiden here in LA at the uh, Hamburg factory. It was so punishing. Also, Junko, man, it's just just brutality. Yeah, was, yeah. That, yeah, but actually, actually leaving. No, the Hydrokaiden at Handbag was a phenomenal set. Yeah, that, was, that great. was great. We truly, truly enjoyed that. What are the best discoveries that the other hosts suggested to cover, but the rest of you had not experienced, but were blown away by? hearing it we we loved the nightmarish utrecht album i would say that was mm-hmm. a top top one that we were not familiar with that gray suggested and we really loved that yeah and i got to learn a lot about a lot of historical things that i have continued to um read about and uh yeah i thought that that was um a great listen and also Dreamhouse. The Lamont Young. The Lamont Young. Oh, yeah. Steve. Yeah, that was, that that was, was really cool. That was really great and really got me thinking about, like, the dream chord that he made um, and that 110 hertz and more things about, like, meditative um, waveforms and the way our minds interact with, with sound waves and frequencies. So I guess it inspired me to do a lot more reading about that, and that has been uh, a great ride. I think one of the big ones for me was the Yggdrasil Esaton Hermit 10 inch we did with Pierre Marc uh, so from cool. Glance. That was a really cool one that mm-hmm. I did not at all know and totally dig the vibe and actually picked up some Yggdrasil tapes based on it because uh, I wanted to hear more of that style. Back in Merzcast days, Amlux was one that I mm-hmm. yeah. did not know, didn't care about. We talked about uh, sort of negativity. If you had asked me five years ago to listen to a digital Mersbaugh album, I probably would have been like, eh, I'm fine. Like, I, I just wouldn't have had much interest in it. But when it was pitched for the podcast, and obviously doing that, we had to discuss some of the laptop years and that one is a gem that one is a real standout as good as any of the sort of classic era stuff anyone wants to talk about and so i think that that's that one was a a real surprise for me But, but a lot of these things you know there's not too many strange things that we do that the rest of us aren't familiar with because some of this stuff we're we're talking about favorite records or records that we've liked for a long time so have I recommended stuff to the Connellys before? Like, absolutely, you know, and, and have they listened to it or have they recommended a record to me and I listened to it five years ago because they recommended it, but now we're doing it on the podcast? Just certainly. Uh, another one that was a big one, though, is uh, when Chris Sienko came on and did Anti-Performance. That record is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emil Bolio, Anti-Performance, with him playing all the anti-records he had released on RRR. That was a really, really cool one. That gave me a new appreciation of Ron Lassard's sound. Oh, actually, I would say also the Robert Ashley. That was really yes. cool. Yes, Doing the deep dive on, I mean, Sanko yeah. is just a, a dream guest. We already have him slated for another yeah. episode, so you'll probably hear his voice on this podcast in 2021. Yay! For sure. But I think also not even necessarily brand new, but just getting into zones and deep diving into zones and it can deepen your appreciation of it when you listen in a certain way and even you know trying to understand the intent behind it and place it with in a context of time um it can really change the way you think about a record 
Oh, even doing this kind of listen, like I was going to say, I got that recent zero comma triple CD set. That's a collection of all the material that the project released. And I've listened to disc one every day for the last three or four days, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. I mean, I, I know what it sounds like, but I, it's been on while I'm working on a project or like doing, you know, doing something else or reading. And so it's not the thing I'm focusing on. And I know that if we sat down to do an episode about that disc, that I'm going to sit and be focused for an hour on every sound I'm hearing and think about it in context of the other sounds. And I'm going to look up even more history about the project, although I already know a fair amount about Zero Comma and Necrophile Records. That sort of listening, even to a record you've listened to a ton, even to a record like you own a tape of or whatever, like sitting down and listening to it in this way gives it a completely different context and appreciation too. So even stuff that I've listened to a bunch, when we sit down to do it, it's uh, it's a whole different ballgame. It really changes it. I hope everyone that, does, that listens to this does have that experience. And maybe that's the way you listen to everything is intently and focused. And when you're listening to a record, you only listen to a record. John, we said in an episode uh, we did with him, I believe that that's why he likes seven inches because they're so focused and, and single shot. Like it's what you can do while <laughs> the only thing you can do while playing a seven inch is listen to it. Cause then you have to get up and flip it or stop it. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the same way when we do these things, you're focused on listening to it. You're not just have something, you don't just have something enjoyable on in the background. You might be setting an atmosphere, but you you're really digging into it and li- listen to some of your favorite records that way. Listen to everything, pick out every detail in them, make notes. It's a really fun thing to do. Pay for porn. And pay for porn. And pay for movies. When does noise become a song? In thinking this question, I think Tara had a great answer. I just think it becomes a song when you decide it does. Like, who cares what everybody else thinks and if they think it's a song or noise or not noise. There are things people listen to constantly that are on the radio, and I think they're absolute noise gutter Things that I actually don't like. So, you know, it's a song when I think it's a song and it's noise when I think it's noise. And that's the power of the individual. If by noise you mean uncomfortable sound, then pop music is noise to me. There's a lot of noise out there. It's a quote from uh, Masami Akita. Okay. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And is there any sound that cannot be categorized as music? I think in the 20th century, we've seen a lot of noise and and actually even prior get added into pop music and more accessible music. And I think that that's a weird symptom of the universe here. But I think that noise and dissonance have always been utilized in music since the first string was struck or first rock hit another rock. Or, I mean, drums are such an incredibly noisy instrument, but they're in a band, so you don't necessarily think of them as noisy. Hit a cymbal sometime at a dinner with your family. No. (laughs) You know, like, we accept it in this context, but that is a miserable, noisy sound. And so I think that all sounds (laughs) can be noise, uh, depending upon how they're incorporated. And I think that... Any sound could be incorporated into music. Even say something like white noise, you'll hear white noise and 
little things as background filler in pop music. You hear these things that are minute, but they take up space and they make something sound fuller. And that's utilizing it in a musical context, even without it being a musical itself. So how, where does that, where does that fall in terms of, is it music, right? Yeah, I, I, I I definitely go along with, with that. I think just, I can't think of a sound that could not be thought of, worked into, or made into music or noise. Yeah, and but we are we are three people who value context and subjectivity. And so exactly like it's hard for us to imagine hearing something that we couldn't see in noise. Like I remember one of my first jobs in cheese in the nineties, we had this cooler and it had um, an old fan and a new refrigerating system. And so it almost made a chord. So I remember I would just stand in this cheese walk-in cooler and listen to the two fans kind of fight it out, you know, like a, like a, what, what, what is that called when it's in two stereo sound of, of cheese cooler? Uh, and I just thought it was like the most peaceful and beautiful place to be. It's like when white noise meets like, you know, pink noise. It's music if you like it. It's music if you don't like it. The in-between stuff is where it gets a little iffy. When you feel nothing, that's when you worry. <laughs> this was a lot of fun, you know, and again, we apologize if we didn't get to everyone's question. We, I imagine we'll be doing more episodes like this. We We had a lot of fun doing this. And and more episodes that are will be sort of discussion based, maybe not on a specific album, maybe on more of a topic or an idea. So as we move forward, we we are thinking about a lot of different styles of episodes, and this is this is just one of them. So thank you everyone for your questions. We we we, we we've got them all kept. So if we didn't get to them, we may get to them in another episode. Send more questions when we're ready to do another one. But these were really cool, really thoughtful questions. We had a we had a lot of fun discussing them. So thank you to all the listeners. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at Noise Extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.